My text for this Lord's Day is taken from Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Children will either bring shame or honor to their parents by the way in which they behave. I think we've all had the experience of being in a public setting, perhaps in a store, and witnessing the shame of parents as their children throw themselves down on the ground, shout at their parents, tell their parents no, or even strike at their parents. Certainly the sense of shame is elevated in a parent when this happens in a public setting. But I can assure you that such acts of misbehavior first started in more private settings at home before they are ever evidenced in public. But dear ones, just as a parent can experience shame and embarrassment by such disobedience in their children, so likewise a parent can experience great joy and honor by the kind, respectful, and godly behavior displayed in the lives of their children. The Spirit of God teaches from our text today that you as parents can by your parenting choose to a great extent whether you will experience shame or whether you will experience honor and joy from your children as they mature in their years. Which will you choose as parents? Shame or honor? Oh, dear ones, there is perhaps not a greater heartache or anguish of soul and mind than in our latter years to bewail the sad outcome of our children who have brought disgrace to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and shame to us as parents. Do you not desire your children and your grandchildren to bring honor to you and to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you not choose to make your children wise rather than fools? Then I urge you this Lord's Day... Give heed, give heed to God's instruction to you from his word. If we would have children that are wise and bring us joy rather than shame, how are our children to be disciplined? According to our text, first of all, our children should receive the rod. Secondly, our children should, should receive reproof. And thirdly, our children should not be left to themselves. 
So first of all, our children should receive the rod or our text says the rod gives wisdom. The very first thing that I would note is that the loving use of the rod in discipline is a God ordained means to lead our children into the paths of righteousness and wisdom. The rod is an instrumental means by which God teaches our children wisdom. But the rod itself, I would also have you to know the rod itself is not what gives our children wisdom. It is a means by which God gives our children wisdom. We must never confuse the means with the source for which wisdom comes. God himself is the one who gives wisdom, but he uses parents as they faithfully, lovingly use the rod in discipline. Let us be sure then that we do not put our confidence in the rod as if this were a mere mathematical equation. That is the rod applied to my children equals wisdom. It doesn't work that way, dear ones, at all. The Lord gives us these means to be used, but never to be used without absolute dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolute dependence upon his grace and mercy, upon his spirit to empower us to be faithful, to empower the children to take the lessons that are being applied to them and to use them for his glory. The use of the rod without prayer, without crying out to God for the effectual work of his spirit in the lives of our children will not issue in wisdom. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You see, it's not the means that ultimately are important or ultimately bring the blessing and the benefit. It is God who gives the increase. Apollos is an instrument. Paul is an instrument. But it's God who gives the increase. Let us not then, therefore, put more confidence in the rod than we ought. Our confidence is not in the rod. It's in the Lord our God. Whereas many psychologists, dear ones, many teachers, civil and ecclesiastical leaders tell us that spanking will destroy our children's joy and security, will stifle their creativity and expression, and will cause them to be violent and abusive. The Lord, speaking through Solomon, tells us that the rod rather gives wisdom to our children been properly used. Who will you believe in this matter, dear parents? Will you believe the all-knowing and all-wise God who cannot lie? Or will you rather believe some so-called expert whose anti-Christian views of child training are leading millions of children down the paths to destruction? You see, the all-wise God says in Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. 
foolishness, that is, rebellion and resistance to all that is good and righteous, is bound, is tied, is chained to the heart of a child. The child cannot escape it. It's there. It's in the hearts of adults as well. But the Lord says the rod of correction, again, when it is faithfully, lovingly applied, is a means by which that foolishness will be driven far from them and wisdom will take up its place in their heart. I would have you note here in our text, dear ones, that the rod is used here by God is not a cruel and unusual tool of vindictive punishment, but rather a useful and profitable tool of restorative discipline. This is so important, dear ones. This distinction that you understand, it hits at the very heart of what discipline is and is not. You see, dear parents, the nature of restorative discipline administered by parents is quite different from the nature of vindictive punishment administered by the civil magistrate. Parents are not to administer the rod with a view to repaying the child for his disobedience. The parent is not administering retributive justice when he disciplines. He is not exercising an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He is not repaying evil with a just punishment. That is the role of the civil magistrate, according to Romans 13.4, where it says, For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. But to the contrary, when a parent uses the rod in chastening his children, he is teaching and training his children in the ways of righteousness. The goal in loving judgment or loving discipline, dear ones, is not judgment, but edification, sanctification, benefit, profit. Thus, biblical discipline is always administered in love and not in a fit of anger. It is given to change the child's sinful behavior and not to repay the child for his sinful behavior. Proverbs 13.24 again says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes, that is, early in life. <clears throat> we get it quite confused, at least the world does. The world says that it's the parent who hates his child that chastens him. God has a different view of things, that when properly applied, it's the parent who withholds chastening that hates his child. But the one who faithfully and lovingly applies it is the one who truly loves his child. But it's administered, dear ones, not in vindictive punishment, nor in retributive justice, 
to get even, to pay an eye for an eye, but it's given for the purpose of training, teaching, and restoring again to fellowship. In fact, the surest way to make a child, I believe, despise his parent and harden his heart to discipline is to administer that discipline in anger and to make him think that you are getting even with him for something that he has done. You will harden his heart quicker that way than by any other means. That's why I believe we find in Colossians 3.21, the Apostle Paul speaking with regard to this matter, I believe, when he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. When you discipline them, do not discipline them in anger. Discipline them while you are under self-control. Discipline them in love. Discipline them with knowledge and understanding. Let me ask you, do those who have embraced Jesus Christ by faith alone continue to bear the retributive justice of God? That is, does God repay them, his children, does he repay them punishment personally for all of their sins? When God sends afflictions, when God sends trials, suffering, heartache, death, and persecution into the lives of his children, is he repaying them for their sins and pouring out his holy wrath and just punishment upon them? If so, then I ask, what did Jesus Christ bear for us? What did he bear for us, his elect ones, when he suffered upon the cross? Did he not bear our sin and all the punishment which our sins, past, present, and future, justly deserve? Dear ones, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Galatians 3.13 When the Lord Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, and he cried out to his father, it is finished. Or more to the point, paid in full. All of the guilt and all of the punishment for sin which condemned us was paid once and for all by the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. We are not Catholics, Roman Catholics. We do not continue to offer Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for sin. He has suffered once and for all, and that is a sufficient death for all of his people. Therefore, now that we are God's beloved children through God's work of grace in our lives, he is not our judge meeting out his righteous punishment, but rather he is now our loving father disciplining us for our good that we might be sanctified and take on his likeness more and more in our lives. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 12. 
The best commentary I could give to you on this point is simply these verses, beginning with verse 5 through 11. Listen closely to the purpose that God chastens his own children. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now back to Proverbs 29.15. When the Lord uses the word rod, to what does he specifically refer? Another important distinction, I think, that we need to make with regard to discipline. Must we as Christian parents only discipline our children by the use of a rod or a paddle of some kind? Is that the only way in which the Lord gives to us as parents that we are to discipline our children? I understand the word rod here to refer to the full extent of discipline to which a parent may go. That's the full extent to use the rod. And thus, if the parent can go as far as using the rod in the discipline of a child, the parent can also use any lesser form of discipline with a child as well. For you see, a parent does not have absolute power over the body or the soul of a child, but has a delegated authority from God. For example, a parent may not use the sword against the life of his child, like the civil magistrate can. Nor may a parent exercise the keys of church discipline toward his child, like the elders of the church can. But rather, the full extent of a parent's authority is expressed by the use of the word rod. Just as the full extent of a civil magistrate's authority is the sword, just as the full extent of the authority of church officers is the, are the keys of the kingdom, so the full extent of, of discipline that can be used by a parent is the rod. Just as the sword in the hand of the civil magistrate does not require 
him to put every single violator of the law to death, no matter how small the infraction may be. So likewise, the rod of correction in the hands of a father or mother does not require them to use the rod for every act of disobedience, but permits degrees of chastening with spanking being the full extent to which chastening may go. I draw this to your attention because some Christians seem to think that the only form of correction a parent may use is that of spanking. But parents, the rod is the full extent of the discipline a parent may give. It does not limit the parent from giving a different, perhaps more effective form of discipline at certain times. For example, Mere verbal reproof may be sufficient at times. Or separating the child from others for a period of time. Or taking away the toy or the game that led to the fight. Or using a, a, a slight pinch behind the neck when you're in a public place to remind the child that he is teetering on the brink of getting into some major trouble. Is the rod a biblical form of discipline? Absolutely. Can the rod be misused, abused, or overused? Absolutely. Through the constant use of the rod for every act of disobedience, dear ones, our children may in fact grow callous to the strokes that they are given. They may even build up a stronger resistance to your authority and harden their hearts to the truth. If we're not careful. Dear parents, it is not a biblical use of the rod, but rather an abusive use of the rod to beat your children mercilessly or senselessly. Or to strike them with your fists, to strike them about their head. Such abuse of the rod will not lead them to you, but will in fact cause them to flee away from you. How early in the life of a child should parents begin to use loving discipline to train and teach a child? I'm going out on somewhat of a limb by even raising the question, I realize. But I offer this by way more of suggestion to you. Take it for what it's worth. You know, God does not give us a specific age in his word. He simply says in Proverbs 13, 24, to begin early. However, I would submit to you that loving discipline can even begin in infancy. How do you discipline an infant? Well, let me suggest something to you. If a child has been fed and changed and his bodily needs have been met, and it is time to train that little one, <clears throat> that there are certain times to be awake and certain times to sleep, a parent, I believe, may let their child cry for a period of time as loving discipline rather than running to pick him up whenever he cries. That's teaching him. That's a training. 
Now, I'm not advocating that a parent let a little child, a little infant, a baby cry for hours upon end. But to begin to teach him that his tears or even little fits of anger will not get his way is, I believe, appropriate. Then when the child begins to crawl or pull himself up to furniture and touch things that he should not touch, I would suggest that the use of the word no with a little slap on the palm of his hand is appropriate to begin to train and to teach him boundaries. He can go this far, but he can't just have total liberty within the house. There are some things that are dangerous, some things that are hot, some things that will hurt him. Some things he can pull down upon himself. How are you going to train and to teach them? You can't move everything out of your living room and out of his bedroom. You have to teach him some boundaries. In so doing, you are gradually beginning to train and to teach this little one. When your child reaches the point where you know he knows that he is disobeying. For example, when you tell him no... And he turns around and looks at you. Then he turns back and looks at the thing you told him not to get into or to touch. And then he turns back and looks at you again and does it anyway. That's a pretty good indication that he knows that he's transgressing, crossing over a boundary that he ought not to do. That's a pretty good indication that it's time to perhaps give him a swat on the bum. Well, another question arises. How late in a child's life may loving discipline be administered by a parent? The opposite side of the coin. And I would say as long as the child is under your authority or living at home. When children at home are too old to submit to their parents' loving discipline, to their instruction, to their reproof, to their correction then they are too old to be living at home at all. When they're too old to follow the rules of the family, the commandments of God, then they're too old to be at home. Although SWATs may generally not be as effective with older children, nevertheless, the rod of correction I would maintain, may be used at times even for older children when the act of disobedience warrants it. Generally, as a parent, the goal is to be able to use more persuasion and less of the rod the older the children become. Not more of the rod and less persuasion. But you have to begin early if you want to reach that point. You have to begin early with regard to the use of the rod and reproof. You can't simply wait until their teen years and they begin to become serious about it at that point. It will not be readily received. I would submit that with older teens, the loss of privileges may be a more effective type of loving discipline at times to use, and usually that's the case, rather than using the rod. But in certain circumstances and situations, the rod may be uh, effective and appropriate. 
Proverbs 29.15 gives a parent the use of the rod, the ultimate discipline. He also gives to the parent discretionary use of all lesser forms of discipline as well. Remember, dear ones, we are not tied or bound to only one form of discipline, for we are not punishing or repaying our children as their sins justly deserve, but rather we are teaching and training them for their edification and their profit. Therefore, the question is not so much what form of discipline do they deserve, but rather what form of discipline will best teach them to obey. Second main point is this. Our children should receive reproof as well, for reproof gives wisdom. It is not only the rod that gives wisdom, dear ones, but the rod and reproof. Whereas the rod in Proverbs 29:15 focuses on the outward physical aspects of loving discipline, reproof considers more the verbal aspects of loving discipline. Reproof involves instruction. It inv- involves correction. It involves rebuke. It is possible in various circumstances that a parent may only need to verbally reprove his child for some misbehavior. That's all it takes with some children. They just crumble. Uh, their, Their heart's broken. That may be all that's required with some children. And most of the time. It does all that it's intended to do to humble them, to teach them, and to train them. But I would submit to you, a parent must never administer the rod to a child by itself. That is, without verbal reproof, correction, and instruction. Reproof may be administered by itself without the rod, But the rod must never be administered without reproof. Even with a toddler that is given a slap on the palm of his hand, it should be administered with a firm reproof. No. He should hear something coming from your mouth, not simply his hand being spanked or swatted. And as he grows in his understanding More and more loving instruction and verbal correction should accompany that no. You ask, isn't that time consuming to take all that time to go through and to reprove, to instruct and correct every time a child needs discipline? Yes, it's time consuming. Does it require diligence and consistency on a parent's part? Absolutely. But how your child will profit from the time you take, not only to administer the rod, but to take the time to explain in tender love why the rod is being administered. To administer the rod without loving reproof is to consign the child to absolute ignorance as to what what he has done wrong and why it is wrong. It is to administer harsh punishment Not loving discipline. It is to send your child running from you. Not fleeing to you. 
It is to harden his heart rather than to soften his heart. Dear ones, the Lord not only chastens us with a rod, but he also reproves us, corrects us, and instructs us by his word and his spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In Revelation, in the letter to the letters to the churches there, the Lord Jesus Christ says, those whom he loved, he rebukes and he chastens. Both rebukes and chastens. This is how the Lord treats us. And so I urge you, dear ones, use the scripture in your verbal reproofs and let your children know that they have not only disobeyed you as a parent, but they have disobeyed the living God as well. Perhaps it goes without saying, but I want to make it clear. Our verbal reproof must be administered in tender love as well. And not in fits of anger. Not simply the use of the rod to be administered in love, but also our verbal reproof must be administered in love. The goal of our verbal reproof is to turn them to Jesus Christ, not away from Christ. Thus, calling our children names like stupid, idiot, or other choice names, or uttering angry words like, I hate you, or I wish I had never had you, and you can go on and on with the lists. These are not words of loving reproof. The use of such names and words in anger are like swords in the heart of a child. Most children would rather incur the sting of the rod than the sword of the tongue. For the effects of the rod will heal more quickly than the effects of angry, bitter words. Watch your tongues, dear parents, and be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. As James says, chapter 1, verse 19. The last thing I'd say about this second point is this. Much more time should proportionately be spent using reproof than using the rod in your discipline. More time used in reproof than in using the rod. It's much easier, I grant you, in some way, simply to get to the rod. It's much quicker to simply pick up the rod and to spank a child. But I assure you, the patient approach of reproving and then spanking, if needed, will be the far more profitable use of time in the long run. It will save you all kinds of time later on in their lives. If you ever considered, or have you ever considered, dear ones, that God is using the loving, patient discipline of your children 
as a means of sanctification in your lives? As much as a means of sanctification in your children's lives? The Lord is teaching you, parents, as you have to be patient and do things in the right manner. When you have to exercise self-control. When you have to exercise love and faithfulness and mercy. As you take time to instruct and pray with your children and lead your children in confession of sin and forgiveness of sin. The Lord is sanctifying you as well. Are you frustrating God's means of sanctification in your life? Or are you growing by means of that loving discipline in the lives of your children? Third and final point. Our children should not be left to themselves. For a child to be left to himself is simply to say that he is left without loving discipline in the form of the rod and reproof. The word used here is also used in the Old Testament for cattle who pasture at their own liberty without any restraint. A child left to himself, dear ones, will bring grief, sorrow and shame to a mother. Our text says, and no doubt to a father as well, but perhaps in a particular way to a mother inasmuch as she bore this child in her womb and gave birth to him. You see, the text says a child left to himself will bring shame to the mother. We do not have to lead our children in the paths of wickedness. We simply have to leave them to themselves. To their own designs. Give them all the time that they want. Give them everything they want. Do not administer reproof in the rod. Simply leave them to themselves. You don't have to teach them all the wicked things in the world. But simply leave them to themselves. And the scripture says, by doing so, it will bring shame to the mother. Let us not imagine that God is obligated to save our children. God is not obligated to save our children. He is not obligated to make them a blessing to himself or to us as parents or to others. If we leave them without the loving use of the rod and reproof, He's not obligated even if we do faithfully use the rod and reproof. God, by grace, saves us and our children. It's entirely of his mercy. But he does have means to bring our children to salvation. And the use of the rod and reproof is one of those means. The word spoken of Eli in the Old Testament should forever be burned upon our memories. You remember that Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were wicked sons. They were priests. They were within the external bounds of the covenant. They ministered before the Lord, but they were an embarrassment, disgrace and shame to their father. The Lord says 
1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29, through a prophet, a man of God who came to Eli. The Lord said to Eli through this prophet, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel my people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Here was a high priest. Did Eli not rebuke and reprove his sons? Yes. In fact, he did do that. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, that he spoke unto them. He said, Nay, my sons, in verse 24, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. He rebuked them. But the Lord says in 1 Samuel 3.13, He did not restrain them. He left them, as far as that goes, to their own ways. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. If we as Christians and as Christian parents would not leave our children unrestrained and to themselves, what guidelines and loving discipline should we follow? What kinds of guidelines, practically speaking, should we follow as Christian parents? Let me give you several very quickly. First, be clear in what you ask your child to do. Look them in the eyes and ask him if he understands what you just asked him to do. At times, dear ones, it is not so much a case of disobedience as it is a case of misunderstanding. And in giving your instructions to your child, avoid ending the sentence with, okay? If you really are not giving your child an option, there's no need to say, okay? It's much more appropriate simply to say, do you understand? Do you understand what I just asked you to do? And then you have a clear answer to the question. There's no sense of option being given. You certainly can be kind in your expression as a parent to a child when you ask them to do please, because in so doing, you're teaching him good manners and how to to speak with others. You can express your thanks for their fulfilling the the directive which you gave to them. But I, I encourage you as parents, be clear that what you are instructing to do is understood by them. And it's not optional. Make it clear to them. Second of all, before administering discipline, be sure that an express violation of your word or God's word has been committed. Don't rashly administer discipline. Be certain that an express act of of disobedience has, in fact, occurred. 
Treat your children with fairness. Treat them as you would the neighbor down the street. Sometimes we're more unfair with our own children than we are with a stranger. Be fair in the way you treat your children. Don't discipline them for mere suspicions which you might have. Discipline them when it is clear that they have expressly disobeyed. Thirdly, don't utter endless threats about the discipline to come, which never in fact comes or is so long delayed that the child has forgotten what he is being disciplined for. Parents who do so are teaching their children not to trust them, that their parents' word is not good. They're not being faithful. They're, in fact, lying to their children. And they simply utter threat after threat after threat. When you make it clear to a child that such an act of disobedience will be disciplined, and the child says he understands what you've said, and then he disobeys, then administer the discipline, whatever form of discipline is appropriate for that offense, administer the discipline as soon as you're able to for his profit, for his benefit. Fourthly, remember, there are degrees of discipline, as we mentioned earlier, that may be used in the home. Verbal reproof, loss of privileges, separation from friends, added responsibilities, and spanking. And even within the category of spanking, there are less severe spankings and more severe spankings. So there are degrees. I would submit that as a parent, as parents, we should give a stronger dose of discipline to offenses such as, and again, you may have others, but these are within our home, some of those offenses that we have made clear to our children, you can expect to get the full extent of the law, as it were, with regard to loving discipline, if this is true. <clears throat> Blasphemy, cursing, disrespect, violence, whether it's hitting a brother or sister, whether it's slamming a door, whether it's throwing something, breaking something, lying, stealing, and any willful, obstinate acts of disobedience. Whereas various infirmities and weaknesses such as mere forgetfulness, rashness, unintentional acts on the part of our children should be treated less severely. Have a sense of fairness as to how you administer the discipline in your home. Talk about it between mom and dad. Don't just simply enter into the situation expecting you'll be able to handle it if you've not really talked about it between yourselves. Fifthly, be liberal and generous in your encouragement, commendation, expressions of love and affection, and even in giving rewards at times for jobs well done. The Lord does that with us. He encourages us by his word and spirit. He comforts us. He rewards our obedience. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So ought we to do with our children. Dear ones, such love will have the effect of making any discipline they receive much more effective. Sixthly, 
If you would train your children to behave properly in public, you must give them training at home. When parents do not take the behavior of their children seriously in the privacy of the home, why should parents be all that surprised when the children do not take their own behavior seriously in public? The children at that point really are acting far more consistently than the parents. Whereas the children are acting consistently in both situations. They're misbehaving in both situations, private and public. And the parents are acting inconsistently, saying basically you can act one way, get away with all of these things in privacy, but you better be on your heels. You better watch carefully when you're in public. I don't want you to embarrass me there. How inconsistent. Parents, this applies to how our children behave here in the building after the service as well. This is a public setting. Are you carefully watching what your children are doing? Are you keeping an eye on them? Or are you so involved in talking with other people that you don't have the foggiest idea where they are or what they're doing? We should not, dear ones, <clears throat> fall into that kind of a situation. Good manners. Good manners in public begin in the home. Children, for example, learn how to quietly sit in public worship by learning how to sit quietly in family worship. Lastly, the last guideline is this. Make, number seven, make your restorative discipline an opportunity to present the gospel of salvation to your child time and time and time and time again. Take them to the, through the process of confession of sin, repentance, seeking forgiveness and restoration with a lot of hugs and kisses. Take them through the process. They will probably sooner trust in Jesus Christ, dear ones, through your work in that manner. Through all the sermons that they will hear coming from this pulpit. All the impact and the influence that you have as parents upon your children. In conclusion, then, please note that the goal of our use of the rod and reproof is to give our children wisdom. Wisdom is not simply an intellectual knowledge of God's truth, but the ability to practically apply God's truth to all areas of life. You know, there are some people who are very knowledgeable. They're very smart. But they have not learned how to apply what they know to their home, to their church, to their job, to their friends, to their country. They have no application. They may be able to give you the shorter catechism, forward and backward. But when it comes to living out the truth that's in the shorter catechism and in the scriptures in their secret worship, in their family worship and corporate worship, they miserably fail. Dear parents, we not only want our children to intellectually know the truth, but we want them to really know the truth in their lives by living the truth. Not simply to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. The rod of reproof, dear ones, bring that type of wisdom 
But I would not fail to mention this. The rotary proof or God's means to give wisdom in another sense as well. For the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 1.30 has been made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. The Lord Jesus Christ is our wisdom. The rod and reproof when used in love, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit and the grace of God when it is effectively used in the lives of our children will give them He who is wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. It will lead them into the arms of the Savior who loves them and who offers to them that salvation. With that as our primary motive then, and using loving discipline, let us as parents press forward, knowing that this is the very means by which God will bring our children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And let us not grow weary in well-doing. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for the power of Thy Word, the depth of Thy Word, the practicality of Thy Word. We thank Thee, our Father, that Thy Spirit has been given to us to help us to understand and to enlighten our minds. It's been given to us so that we not only learn, but that we obey as well. Father, apply our hearts to wisdom this day. Let us, Lord, as parents, not simply hear and say, that was a good sermon. Or, I learned a lot from that sermon. But, oh God, help us by thy grace. Help us by thy grace to carry out what thou hast taught us this day in our families, in our own lives. To the profit and to the benefit of our children. To the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. 
and remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.